And just like that, with the stroke of a button, we're allowed to infiltrate the airwaves of Micronesia. Rwanda, Botswana. Mm. Botswana. I miss Botswana. Zambia. Yeah. Zambezi. Yep. That's not actually a country, but for people that don't Z know that, which Z sounds good. Zamboni. Yeah. <laughs> Macaroni. <laughs> Cheese. <laughs> Methane gas. Definitely. I, I'm hearing you're drinking, and that's is this a, a post kidney stone thing? I'm I'm hearing you're drinking. It wow. sounds very healthy. It sounds like you have a a real container there. Like it sounds to me like it's like at least one liter of a thermos or something that you got I, there, like I, a water bottle. You know, I feel very uh, invaded right now. I feel like, you know, if a lot of our, 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 the multitude of listeners, I think at 27 now, they don't realize we don't do this in person and we don't do it over a video call. We're just on audio only. So right. while we know each other fairly well, you can't see what I'm doing, which helps considering the nudity that I show up in. But <laughs> I am drinking something and I didn't want you to know that. So I don't know if it's this high quality microphone I have or um, you intuited that. Is it that loud when I, when I drink? Oh yeah, I could hear it. Fuck. Uh, I, could, I, could hear, I could hear it when you place it on the table and it sounds like it's, it's made of metal, like it's a metallic water bottle. It's definitely it's, heavy. I, I don't drink out of water bottles, but because most people do, I don't blame you for guessing that. I think you pulled okay. what is the classic psychic trick or that when the psychic's like, you know, the, the woman comes in all frazzled and she's like, oh, <laughs> there's a problem with your relationship, you know? Relationship, yes. Oh, it's, yeah. This, this person has a vowel in their name. Uh, <laughs> definitely a vowel, right? And there's an R, an N, S, T, and an L somewhere in there. <laughs> it's like all the most obvious shit, you know, they, they get. Uh, so you are right, but I, I'm not drinking a metal container. But at the same time, you, what my, you know, my wife, as I, I came uh, up to my office, was like, why don't you use your new gift, which is actually one of those small metal containers that keep your coffee or tea hot for like half a day. Mm -hmm. And I'm not I, a thermos, but a small one. It's like, it's like coffee cup size. Um, yeah. And I'm like, I'm just not used to it yet. Like I haven't developed a habit the way I do like every other day masturbation. Um, mm -hmm. It's a good habit. Yeah, good. Yeah. You got to make sure it's always every other so you appreciate it. Um, yeah, man. And I didn't, uh, so I was going to take one of those mini metal thermoses and I, I'm still not used to it. I, I like having a mug. Don't you like a, like a ceramic mug? I, you know, I do. Uh, but I recently, this is about, uh, three months ago, uh, one of my biggest purchases of the year, uh, -huh. uh it wasn't a great year it was a thermos for like 20 euros. And, uh, and I'm loving it because I, I was making myself like, you know, six, seven cups of tea a day. And each time I was boiling the water and that's, you know, this is like a much cheaper because you boil yeah. the water once and B it's just so convenient because these things, they really can like store the heat for like a whole day. It's like unbelievable. I, I I've think never used that. I think both of us were just like got Rip Van Winkle and missed all of uh, COVID, Trump, the last uh, few years of, <laughs> because I, I also had this same epiphany. So I got this gift and I had it on our, uh, our vacations, which we'll discuss. And I took the dog out for a very long walk, excited to have my new thermos to drink my tea with. And I fucking forgot it. And I got over it and I got home. And you know, when you forget your tea or your coffee, you know, like, ah, like drinking it cold is just disgusting. Yeah. And so sometimes you microwave it, but it's never the same knowing like you microwaved it. So maybe you heat it back up, but it's just disappointing. Like it's just not, it's, it's like having like sloppy seconds. Mm -hmm. And you know who had the first, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you know that guy and you're like, oh God, this is gross. Um, mm. But I came back in and it was so hot. Yeah, piping hot. Piping hot. It was like, I just poured it. Like what a fucking yeah. miracle technology. It is. It absolutely is. It's, it's insane that this is just available to everyone, to us, to the masses. We can all, basically we've conquered temperature. It took us, took both of us like seven years to get uh, with everybody else. Yeah. Which is cool because I'm glad you and me are on sync. <laughs> yeah, we are. We're definitely in sync on this. <laughs> 2020 is the year of the thermos. 
just adapting to shit yeah i was i guess the thermos itself has been around forever now that i think about it i remember as a kid like having it a like cold games um yeah but it was always big right the ther- the old school thermos was pretty fucking tall they were big and i wonder how effective they really were they might have been but i i don't remember being as impressed with the thermos as i am today Did, so. didn't you didn't you have an argentinian roommate in amsterdam at one point, I did. Because the Argentinians love, they, they carry a thermos around with their, uh, their matcha. Yeah. Ma- the mate. The mate. And they, yeah. uh, you know, because they want to keep it hot and they pour it in the, uh, the, the bombillo or the, the uh, you know, the, the little straw cup thing that they the, suck the, it out the, of. The, the crack pipe, as I call yeah. it. Yeah. The crack pipe is the yeah. bombillo and then they, the gourd is what they drink it out of. Yeah. Um, the gourd. Yeah. So that, they have like those, they carry those massive fucking thermoses. But this pint, this kind of more um, travel size thermos is really, wow. And yet you knew yeah. I was drinking. So I'm going to have to find a mute button every time I pick my cup up now. No, no, I think it's lovely. I think you should keep doing it. It makes you much more approachable and uh, vulnerable. It's really sweet. Uh, we're already, I'm seeing in the numbers that we're getting a lot of listeners because of this cup. <laughs> and you mentioned the V word. Uh, my therapist has yeah. told me. My therapist has told me to be more vulnerable, and I don't get it. Like I'm trying to. I, I don't see the appeal. I think women like it. Um, what, what do you think is vulnerable about, about this moment? Why did you bring up that word? Because that has really been a key word in my uh, discovery of myself. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, how to, be, how mean, to become it, more vulnerable? I mean, I'd love to to hear your reaction to the most famous uh, like internet talk about vulnerability, which is by Brene Brown. She wrote a book about it. She studied vulnerability and how do you organizations know this shit, man? and stuff. Uh, this is kind of like what I do for work. But uh, <laughs> is it? Can, can yeah. we listen, is there a way to listen to like one minute of her and give it, or is it like a twenty minute TED talk? It's like a 20 minute TED talk and she has a Netflix special, which I haven't seen, but, but she's like the, the source of expertise on, on this word and, and, and many other things, but. So sum it up for me and and our, and our listeners as someone like myself new to the world of vulnerability and trying to get into it to become a better person. I I mean, the, the, the core of it is that vulnerability is, is very human and it's, uh, it's, it serves as a, as a connection piece. And, uh, we are taught, especially, uh, men, uh, are taught not to display it, to, to think that it's a sign of weakness, but actually it, it isn't, it's, uh, it's a very positive thing to show it. It's a, it's a way to connect to your needs to ask for help to and and as a result uh to show imperfection and it's actually the imperfection that um connects people to you so is it um you know does she advocate for like basically when you make mistakes to say as much or when you have a weakness or an inability to do something to let people know uh i don't remember i remember being very moved by the talk so i don't remember the specifics or what she advocates uh so forgive me there but uh but but indeed similar to your therapist uh suggesting that you should show more vulnerability which is a bit of a i hope i hope your therapist offered you know more more than just that and and sort of discuss plenty of examples that i'm okay uh, great i'm working on um, yeah, what, what's an example uh, what, or what's an example that you uh, either are considering or immediately said, like, there's no way I'm not doing that. Um, I can only last 25 seconds. I have to just admit it up front. This is not going to last long. So there's no, you know, I'm not giving any impression like this is going to be some some real wild ride on the orgasm train. Uh huh. I just come forward and say it. And uh, that's, that's, no, that, that, that wouldn't count because I'm married. Uh, <laughs> but see, look at this. I'm, I, I'm, you know what I just did? This is like a great therapy moment. I avoided answering your question. Yeah, I avoided, I avoided you answering your question. With comedy, to, with to a make, comedic to, uh, quip. To make a wisecrack, which is an yeah. issue that goes back to the earliest years of my, of my memory. Um, oh, because, yeah. Because I'm not capable uh, yeah. of really being vulnerable, of, of showing weakness, of, um, yeah, I think I'm narcissistic, right? I, I want, I, uh, you know, I, I want the laugh. I want the attention as opposed mm-hmm. to saying, uh, you know, you know what I, I admitting, like at this moment, I can't think of one, I need a second. And then being comfortable with, which is 
like kind of sin number one in radio, but dead, dead air, right? Having this space of nothing. Um, mm. So let's try it for a second while I think of a, a way. You know, that... you told me, you told me a story, I think when we were in Slovenia about, uh, or maybe it was on one of these podcasts, but I, I think it was, it wasn't on the podcast. I think you told me the story about coming back from suburbs with your family and your son was causing a lot of trouble in the backseat. And mm. there was a real moment of alignment between you and your wife. And you basically uh, took him out of the car and walked back. And, and I, I, I think that's also like a real, like that moment, I really remember it also has like, I think a lot of vulnerable ingredients to, to it as well. It's not just about taking action, but it's also about the moment after when you're suddenly walking in the dark streets of, 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 of whatever, Irving Park or wherever you were and, uh, and walking back uh, home uh, this long distance, maybe in the in cold weather, I'm not sure. And, it was and, cold, and yeah. having that moment with your sons, and 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 that is a vulnerable space, uh, as far as I see it. Yeah, that that's a real story. I, I wouldn't think of that as being vulnerable, but I, I I guess if that is part of the definition of vulnerability, yeah, it was a very intense moment. You know, my my son was having a, a freakout, a, a tantrum that, um, you know he was acting out in the car and making it unsafe. So we walked and we walked about two to three miles uh, in about 25 degree weather. And he did not have a, a coat. Um, oh yeah. He, right. He, he refused to wear one. And um, you know, my, my son just screamed and kicked the whole time. And um, I had to maintain my calm. You know, that's, that's yeah. been a big, a big challenge of a parent who has a child who is what they call emotionally unregulated um mm. and has i guess my disposition because maybe not all parents are like this it's hard to keep your cool um and yet you learn that a child needs that like he needs the parent to not react like when they are not mm. able to get calm if you get angry it only makes it worse it doesn't make it better they're not like oh shit, i'm out of control and dad's crazy i'm gonna stop um yeah and, and uh, that that has been a huge challenge for me as, I don't know. Is that vulnerability? Um, well, I mean, just sharing that is very vulnerable. Oh, perfect. And, okay. And I think that that's, I can, I can only imagine that that is uh, like a, a, a moment that you're really balancing as you're in the public streets with the tantrum happening, knowing that, you know, part of you wants to maybe just be angry. Another part of you wants to just tell him everything's going to be okay but somehow like walking this tightrope, I would say that's a very vulnerable moment. Yeah, oh, I guess I did it. I, 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 ex I expressed some vulnerability, I guess. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, a, you know, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird challenge is how I've had to look at it. You know, when, when a child is like that to, to not react and to know they're not in control, but the harder part, which I have not come close to mastering yet is actually having empathy. I'm trying, you know, this is my biggest struggle with the world of vulnerabilities is being empathic. I think we've talked about this before because you, yeah, we have, you, yeah. you tend to, you tend to show a lot of empathy and uh, I, I'm trying to learn how to do that. Like, so with my son, who's probably the biggest challenge in my life, how can I, how can I feel his pain? Like, how can I understand that he's seven years old? Like he's not choosing to act like a psychopath, but yeah. when, a, when a kid does that, when a kid, you know, can't have something or is unable to like go outside or doesn't want to put on his jacket or doesn't want to leave and it's time to go. And you try to be patient. And then when you eventually force them, they flip out and they don't stop mm -hmm. flipping out. And 15, 20 minutes, 30, 40 minutes have gone by to go from like not reacting to actually being like, oh my God, this poor kid, that's hard. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I don't hard, know. Yeah. I, I never know. I've noticed over the course of at least having kids. I, I, and again, this is observational. I, I don't have close friends like this, but people I've seen with like kids with real special needs or really seem to have a, some severe mental impairments. They seem so like patient and loving with their child. Um, yeah. And I've always been astounded by that. You know, for most people, mm. I would think that's kind of a nightmare. I mean, that's, a, a, you know, an, ar an argument for and against abortion, right? A lot of people use abortion. They find out their child's going to have some type of impairment like that. They'll abort the mm -hmm. child. Um, 
and a lot of very religious people generally, you know, say that's wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I'm conflicted over it because I, I can see both sides. I don't know. Have you ever know? I'm just so impressed. Like, how, how do they, how do they do that? How do they not just like run away or lose their shit or, or, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I wonder, by the way, if this is, uh, if this is actually true. I mean, I certainly know of a lot of stories of, you know, incredible parents to uh, impaired children. Uh, but I wonder if that, that is actually the majority or the minority and that the, you know, the media somehow highlights the, you know, those, those types of parents. I, I wonder if there are actually a lot of examples of, 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 of parents who gave up, who are, you know, who, who can't handle it. Uh, that would also make sense. Uh, but, I, but I think, you know, from, from the perspective of the ones who, who, do, who do well, uh, and, I, and it's funny, I just read an article today, uh, just a random article in the newspaper in Israel about um, this guy and he has like two children and one of them is, uh, has that. And, and he says, this is my source of strength. It's, I love this child, you know, so much. And, uh, and, 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 and all of the difficulty that comes with it, like uh, empowers me even more. So I think that's, Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's similar to like, you also showed a lot of vulnerability when you were experiencing like real pain from the kidney stones. Like I, I hadn't seen you like that, you know, yeah. obviously, and I knew, I knew why, but, uh, but at the <laughs> same time, like it was, it was genuinely a much more quiet and somber version of you. Like there were no, you're almost used to a, ryth a rhythm of another person. And, and it was just like, it was, it was almost completely gone. Like you were like, I'd say the, your only empathy was to try as best as you could, despite the pain to fill in that void and make an occasional comment. But you could tell that it was really difficult for you because you were under so much pain. Mm. And, uh, and I think maybe that's the equivalent is, is you got permission from the extreme pain that you, you, were, you were experiencing to be vulnerable because you couldn't do anything else. I mean, it was that bad. Uh, and, and yeah. similar. Yeah. Do you realize how, yeah. pathet do you realize how pathetic what you just said makes me feel? What, that you need that much pain to be vulnerable? Yeah, that I need the pain that's been equated with childbirth <laughs> for a man, although don't tell a woman ever that it's like childbirth because I found out they don't, they don't take kindly to it. They don't appreciate that. No, they think it's nothing like childbirth. Um, by the way, I, I did, I, uh, a, a friend of ours, um, she was sharing her kidney stone story and uh, she did equate to childbirth and she had a kid. And when I told yeah, my, when I, and when I told my wife that she's like, well, well, she had an epidural. It wasn't a natural childbirth. <laughs> <laughs> she had a pain reliever. Uh, yeah. That's crazy though. That, 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 that's the only, the only time you've ever seen me vulnerable is in the worst pain of my life. Yeah. God, I guess I got a long way to go on this therapy. <laughs> 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 a lifetime thing. I'm like I'm like three years in. Thank God my spouse has good health insurance. Oh, you told you actually told me you had quite a few of these vulnerable moments. You told me about uh, crying in the car when uh, when 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 you gave money to a stranger at a at an intersection uh, back in like the summer. Oh yeah, that was uh, the the height of the uh, all the protests in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I think the story went on and then. I couldn't resist. I thought it might have been a scam, but I just accepted it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah, and, and still, and still, the, the emotion that you showed was real. So, yeah. um, so something happened there also. And uh, what, yeah. what did, I'm curious, what did I, you're, you're, like a, <laughs> you're like a vulnerability coach. Could this be like- I'm like your, your, your biographer. <laughs> Let's no, include the intersection story in chapter four. Are, 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 are life coaches a thing in the Netherlands? Are people like life coaches? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so I know life, life, coach, uh, yeah. life coaching is a, a trendy a profession, but I don't know of any vulnerability coaches. This could be a new thing. Uh, I think that's where Brene Brown comes in. Uh, I'll send you the link. All right. I think, I think that's a real uh, a testament to whether, like how you experience that TED talk, whether you're, because you'll go through many different things. Like you'll go towards the joke, but maybe something will hit you. Like, I think it's a really cool uh, exper experiment. I mean, I, here's, here's two things I, I'm curious about because you seem very in tune with vulnerability. One is, you know, I seek out, when I seek out movies, I, for many, many, many years, 20 or more, 
I don't seek out uh, action movies and I, and I kind of don't seek out comedies actually that much either, even though I like a good comedy. Um, I seek out dramas almost always. Um, mm-hmm. And ideally dramas that I end up getting choked up over. Like yeah. not, not period piece type shit or, but you know, just, um, just something that I, I find very moving and I, it's weird. I, I look forward to it. It's like, that's the only way I think I, I'm able to mm. um, a- express that side of me. Is, is that vulnerability? Uh, it, uh, according to Roger Ebert, totally. <laughs> this is, but, but seriously, this is how his documentary starts. Uh, and I, I couldn't watch it because he was in such bad shape in the documentary. He had this horrible cancer oh, of yeah. the face, basically. And, uh, but, but, but the, I think one of the first things he says in the documentary is movies. And the reason why he loves movies so much is movies are empathy. No shit. Yeah. I can see the connection. I moved to Chicago. He's from Chicago and he also couldn't express empathy. I think he married a black woman, which I have not done yet. Um, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> um, he did get heavy, which I have not done yet. Um, <laughs> interesting. Well, that's cool. I'll keep that yeah. in mind. If people tell me that I'm not being vulnerable, I'll say, well, I cry at the movies. Yeah. I used to, I used to have this thing uh, where uh, for a certain period of my life, I would cry uh, during any movie on an airplane. <laughs> and, and I found out it's an actual... I wouldn't call it a condition because it's not necessarily a medical condition, but other people have this. Uh, there was a, a short bit on This American Life at some point about it. Uh, something about being up high in the clouds uh, uh, and, and perhaps the, the, the transitioning from going from one place to another um, puts you in a very vulnerable state. And, uh, and I remember one time it was so bad, and I'm not even making this up, uh, there was a, I cried during a safety video. <laughs> Get out of here, man. No, for real. I'm not, this is not a, like, it's a great joke, of course, but, but it really happened. Like something <laughs> combination with, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm laughing at your vulnerability. No, please. No, I, it is. It is very funny. This is, I mean, I totally accept that that's completely insane and ridiculous, but, uh, you know, but of course it's not about the movie. It's about your own reflection on life and where you're going and all that sort of stuff. So that's what was playing out. But it's, but it's almost like the movie and the, like, like a, a simple like note that is played during, during any movie or any commercial or anything can lead you to cry because, because that's what we're conditioned to do under certain notes. And, and that's what happened the, for a moment there for whatever, was, the, the Delta Airlines safety video. Was it the moment when they show them going down the emergency slide? <laughs> no, probably not. Not even anything that dramatic. I would say that is not a very vulnerable moment. That is I mean, moment and, and, was, and I got like getting a little bit granular here. Were you, were there tears? Were you just a little bit watery? Were you totally like choked up? Uh, those were probably watery to tears. Definitely not choked up. Uh, but I, but I remember being choked up, uh, during several other movies on planes. Now you said like, it was any movie. Was it like, uh, Ernest, the Ernest movies? Like what, what kind of movies? Uh, um, I remember two, uh, there were more, but I remember two. One was the Incredibles <laughs> and the other one, uh, I didn't even watch this movie or I couldn't hear the movie. It was like in one of these older planes where, where I didn't have the, uh, the headset. Uh-huh. And it was like playing for the whole cabin. And it was a movie called Marley and Me about a dog. I know it. And, I, but, but, but hold on. But Marley and Me actually is a sad movie. It so is, that, yeah. That, so that during, doesn't count. Yeah, during everybody. the montage, I remember looking up. I didn't even watch the movie. and Just seeing the montage of this dog's life and just like losing it. Yeah, I think there's like, I, only because I've always had dogs. And I, I think something came out like, you know, that, that was like the one way to see a guy who's never vulnerable's vulnerability was... Yeah, have, have them watch that. <laughs> but the uh, but the Incredibles, which I've seen with my kids, I'm trying to think. Hmm, what what you know? It's do? a specific moment. I mean, all the all the movies have the same script. All the movies have the same storyline. It's the hero. The hero discovers their their you know their true authentic self at some point, 
they realize that the whole quest that they've been having, they've, they've, they've had this thing all along. It's usually at that moment that I cry. Have you ever tried to figure out why that may be? Do you think you're, you're trying? Oh, to... I know. I know yeah. why it is. I think it's the same. I'm like, I'm, I'm also on this quest on a journey and I'm probably, you know, running away from something and probably have that thing in me the whole time or whatever it is. So, so I, I am genuinely envious of this uh, fictional hero for finding their, their purpose. And uh, I think that's when the tears come out. What about the plane? Like, I know you've always been attracted in a way to like, just get on airplanes and airports. What do you think it is about the plane that like, are, is it because you can totally be removed from everything else? Whereas maybe if you watch it in your apartment or in a movie theater, you're, you're, there's other um, distractions kind of ephemera yeah happening. yeah i think it's it's a it's it's uh, so i you know i often I, I think most of my life since uh certainly since i was 18 i've flown alone so uh you know you saw me we flew together but that is very rare i, I typically fly by myself oh thank so you for inviting moment, me to uh... yeah you're welcome thank you for being part of those four flights yeah. uh but the but for me i guess it's like the you know the 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 fact that you're alone and yet surrounded by lots and lots of strangers, uh, it's a very bizarre situation when you think about it. I mean, truly never in the history of time have we been, you know, in this place where we have sort of a connection with the screen, but we don't have a connection with the people immediately next to us. Uh, and that's true for, I think, many people who fly. Yeah. Yeah, I've always had a, um, to me, there's always been something very liberating about an airplane. Like it, it's, a, it's a way to, to feel anonymous and there's something powerful in that. Um, but I do find that you can go through periods of, uh, uh, I don't even know if loneliness is the right word, like, but somewhere between loneliness and worthlessness, like you're, mm -hmm. you're sort of nothing, like nobody knows you, nobody cares about you. Um, if you're not on technology connecting with people, you're just, you're sort of nothing. Um, mm. And then at the same time, if you ever strike up a conversation with the person next to you, it's always phenomenal to me that you never notice it. It's like, Oh yeah. That person sort of becomes like, there's something almost ecstatic about it. Like they become like your best friend, but just for this moment in time. Um, yeah. And there's always, there used to be, I think after you've done it enough, it goes away, but there's sort of that urge when it's done, like, how are we going to stay in touch and how are we going to meet up and do things or, you know, talk? And the reality is you don't, you, you never talk to that person again. You never see them again, usually. Um, yeah. But so many of those conversations, they always feel so fulfilling. I mean, they're almost like first dates, right? There's a lot of like, you know, sharing of your core background or of some mutual topic you both like. Um, yeah. I don't know. What if, what if you're sort of philosophizing from flying so much? What have you come up with on the, uh, the, the soul, especially if there's some kind of syndrome where the upper atmosphere is, or whatever, the, the flight atmosphere is making you <laughs> teary-eyed? Yeah, I mean, of course, our senses are, are I think, a bit different when we're uh, up at that level, even though the cabin is pressurized. Uh, the, the best example is just how much salt they put in the food and, and whatnot, and how the you taste things differently. So I wouldn't doubt if you emotionally experience things a bit differently up there too. How salty, I, I, from, how salty is the food? <laughs> pretty salty. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not salty when you're up there, but if you had it down, down below. No um, shit, I never knew that. Yeah, 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 the, the, the flavors, there was many more flavors because of the, the, the altitude. Um, I think that it's, uh, I don't know, I, like I'm thinking about that actually for the first time. Like, uh, I think I told you about this, this whole constellation thing that, that, that a lot of my colleagues are into, uh, the idea that um, a lot of the subconscious things that we've been programmed into, raised into, uh, the dynamics that we experience with our parents are dynamics that we then project onto others without even knowing it. Um, and. And, and, and if I apply that for a second to flying and look back at the history of, 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 of my, or like the near history of my family, there's been a crazy amount of transition. My grandfather ran away from, you know, Belarus 
uh, because it was, you know, a terrible place to America. And then my dad ran away from America to Israel because he had his own troubles with America or his family or whatever. And I did the same, you know, I, I never stayed, we never stayed in the place we were born in. So I would think that the vehicle, the literal vehicle of the airplane that, that, that takes us between things has that significance of transporting us into, um, into uh, possibility. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree completely about the, the possibility part. I mean, I, maybe you and I share that where uh, that's what I find empowering about airports and the airplane. Um, is there exists this almost infinite possibility of like the thing that might happen on the journey. Um, yeah. And I've always found it something to relish, like it's something I really look forward to even if nothing comes of it. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's half the excitement is, or maybe even more is, is the possibility. That's, um, I mean, that is the excitement of pretty much uh, your entire life up till you're 30 is, is the, the possibility, even though uh, so many of the times it's, it, you don't make it to the possibility, but just the thought of the possibility makes are, you, uh, are you all of high school is about the possibility. Are you sort of inferring that sometime after 30, you begin to see little bits of uh, <laughs> piercing of the veil, little holes in the fabric where uh, the, the beginning of your demise uh, takes place? The first injury yeah. that you've never had? I think so. I think it's uh, I think it's a real reckoning. I'm certainly experiencing that a lot, a lot of it now at 43. Uh, it's, it's this sort of reckoning of like, you've had enough, enough of the possible unrealized possibilities. And now you're, you're getting a lot more realistic. And I wonder if that's what happened with my, uh, you know, from traveling around the world and taking so many trips at some point in my, I guess it was mid thirties, like around 35, 36 it just became empty. Like it became like I was looking yeah. for, I was looking for something that had more meaning. Um, yeah. And now that I allegedly have it, I'm looking for something else. So. <laughs> <laughs> was that vulnerable? That was, that was a joke within the that truth. Was, that was, uh, yeah, 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 you were, I mean, I think if like you had a director next to you, they would be like, say that again, but uh, you know, without laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so all this talk of travel, through vulnerability, what, what did you do on this uh, Christmas holiday that you said you went away? Yeah, for me, it was an amazing week. I'm so happy I did it. I'll, uh, I'll run you through it in a, in a like, brief statement because it's a bit of a monologue. But basically, okay. two weeks ago, uh, the, the Dutch prime minister came up on TV and uh, there were already rumors surfacing during the day of a potential lockdown. Monday evening, uh, he basically says he's, he's in a in like a castle tower in a special like the tower room it's called and it's like this uh this this, this room and and, he, and and i'm imagining him at the top of some castle in the hague and and in the background you're hearing noise of of protesters who are outside like booing and like 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 voicing out crying and you're you're hearing this prime minister who's dressed in a suit and he's basically saying look there's there's no other way to do this we have to go into lockdown all unnecessary travel needs to stop and you know the schools are stopping and we're closing all the stores down and everything and as he's speaking because those people protesting are obviously listening to this live you hear their reactions it's, it, it sounded very dramatic for uh, wow. you know uh for, for an evening and, and i just remember that day i even walked through the streets here uh just on a regular walk and you know i was trying to ignore all this that, that was happening all these rumors knowing that I have a, a ticket to go to go somewhere very special just a few days later and seeing how there's a bit of like um, 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 a, a hoarding going on in the streets, like long lines going into stores, knowing people knowing that these stores are going to close soon. And, Wait, so uh, was, and just, it, just just for clarification, so we understand. Uh, you're, so you're having a surge in COVID cases, I assume. Um, correct. And when he says lockdown, now most of these lockdowns still allow the grocery stores to be open. Is he saying even the grocery stores are going to have to close? No, no. So again, everything is relative. You're right. You're right for pointing that out. Everything is relative. So the Netherlands, uh, you know, basically everything was open pretty much the whole time with a few weeks of no school, I think yeah. early on in COVID. And then, and then the, the big, the big question was what was going to happen now. And, and they, they, they basically closed the schools down. 
Um, and that's of course a big deal for parents, as you know. Oh, and yeah. uh, and and oh, grocery yeah. stores have pretty much always been open. Um, no, they have always been open, so that okay. never closed. But um, but anyway, the, so so this is happening, and 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 I'm just like saying to myself, well, you know what, I. I mean, I am uh, I'm a I'm a first generation immigrant to the Netherlands, so you know how immigrants are sometimes at their best behavior. And I'm listening to the prime minister, and I'm going, yeah, I guess, I guess my trip is not a a, a trip out of necessity. I mean, it sounds like I'm not going to go skiing because he's saying don't go. And then uh, a few days later, you know, I'm talking to different people. I'm mentioning this, and they're like, what? What are you crazy? You bought a ticket? Of course you're going to go. Like no one, like all the Dutch people are just like, you know, they take this place for granted. They grew up into it. They know, they know the subtleties. I'm just like, I don't know the subtleties, like a classic first generation immigrant. Uh, whatever the prime minister tells me, I do. Uh, so, so, so anyway, uh, basically we agreed uh, that we were going to be 15 people in this, in this house. Some of them are already there. Seven of them are already there. Eight of them are coming from the Netherlands, the UK. Uh, we took uh, we took a, a COVID test on Friday. I flew on Sunday. Uh, of course, the flights weren't canceled, so this advice was a bit hypocritical because if it was truly, you know, meant as advice, they would have uh, compensated people. They would have uh, given them vouchers. They would have done something, but they yeah. they weren't able to do that. Basically, economically, it was unfeasible for them to cancel these flights. So basically, I went to to the airport, and and it was just like 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 normal it was regular there was like the only difference was the face mask there was literally no difference uh we flew uh flew to switzerland uh there was no difference there too you had to fill out a form on the plane where you're going to be but that was the only difference and then uh everything ran on time and 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 everything worked well in switzerland trains and everything and same same on the return that what was funny it was a one-hour trip to switzerland and they served the sandwich and and drinks on the flight, which I find completely insane. Uh, like if anything, that, that's the one thing that maybe you should change uh, if you don't want people to get COVID. Uh, but, but everything was great. Like I was so happy to go. Uh, the, the, this, this is one of the, fewer, the few ski resorts that remain open on the continent. Uh, there's, Switzerland has these cantons, they're provinces, uh, it's a federal state, and uh, two of them were holding out. Uh, and that was the only place in Europe, I think, where you could go skiing, the, uh, those two provinces. And one of them was where I went in Verbier. And I we got had a great time. You, and and you, you had no guilt about potentially being part of the issue of COVID, that people meeting up with other people and then getting it and spreading it back to all these different little pockets. Because I think that's yeah, how I, it sort of started in Europe was a exactly, big group yeah. of people coming back from For ski sure. resorts. That's that's true. Yeah, from exactly from Austria. That's how it, it definitely one of the reasons why it, why it got to the Netherlands. Originally. So did you feel you you had COVID fatigue and you didn't care? Did you feel that by taking the test? Yeah. I mean, what did you? Was it not like you were like, fuck it, I don't give a shit. I'm just gonna go. I think it was a, a combination of things, and it was a, also a good exercise in in in, in compartmentalizing something, uh, which I'm not that good at. So okay. it was. Um, so it was, so I went through several stages. Obviously, the first stage was just like being the, the good person and saying, "Well, Prime Minister, Prime Minister is right. I shouldn't do it." But then, if you if you get into the nitty gritty and you you start getting uh, a little closer to the matter, you realize that you know these are he's right. And and then I was asking some people and and even trying to notice are they like are they saying are they displaying some sort of even in their nonverbal communication are they saying don't go basically and none of them did they were all working uh people that i spoke to one of them was saying you know i i, I don't go by rules i go by principles so rules are, are pointless but but you know if the principle is uh avoid contact with you know people who are weaker then uh i don't think you're i don't think you're in that category because those people are not going to be traveling on planes and if you keep to, you know, taking a test or if you keep to the quarantine afterwards, which I'm in, by the way, uh, then, uh, then there shouldn't be a problem. There shouldn't be a major issue. You're mainly endangering yourself and you're not in a risk group to, 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 to worry about it. I mean, you're in the, the same category of most likely it's going to be a, a flu or a bad flu at, at, at worst for you, for you. So you know, using that as a guideline, I, I became softer to it. And, and I was, I was 
also uh, in this space of like, you know what, if they cancel it, I'm fine. Like I'm, I'm also okay with it. But no one went that way. Everybody, I think that's when you realize there's a huge distance between how the media is, is displaying this. And I'm not saying the media is wrong, but, but how they overplay the fear and what actually happens in, 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 in practicality. And I was very surprised that there was, that basically it was just, everything was normal, like uh, except for the face masks. It's like the world did not really change in any way. It was the first time I got on a plane uh, or left even the Amsterdam since uh, uh, end of February. So it was very, now, uh, very interesting for me. Did you like in this, in this house you guys had, I mean, were you going out to restaurants? Were you just all like in the house the whole time? Yeah, so we were in this very fancy place. Uh, this is a place I go to uh, once a year. I'm invited by, the, by this uh, lovely family. And, uh, and it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's insanely, uh, yeah, it's a very posh sort of place where they, they make all the meals for you. And gotcha. it's a very cool place. So we, we didn't have to, so, so we didn't eat anywhere. We didn't uh, go anywhere on the, on the ski slopes. I, I think once we had a drink uh, somewhere, but basically we were, we were just skiing and then going back to the house and, and, and uh, when you're when you're on the lift, for example, you need to keep your face mask on, which is very convenient because it's actually quite cold, and you have the, the clothing anyway. Yeah. And uh, and so we weren't. It felt it actually felt quite uh, quite safe. Uh, I will say that uh, they 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 did have a few guests coming from the UK, and because of this new mutation, uh, they they initiated a a, 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 a quarantine. Uh, after the fact, so the, the quarantine was suddenly uh, placed uh, on the whatever the, the, the for, for all British people, all people coming out of the UK uh, since a certain date, uh, they were basically asked to uh, lock themselves in their rooms and be in quarantine, which which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Uh, so they, they so had they... been out there skiing for four days or three days and suddenly uh, after the fact, they're saying, "Nope, we're not allowing you to do that anymore. Now you have to stay in your hotels." Now, did, did someone did someone come to get the UK guests, uh, just like in Nazi days, and and, and round them up? <laughs> like what, what well, happened? I heard I heard some stories that uh, that some of them escaped in different ways to France or whatever. But uh, <laughs> in theory, I, I, we didn't experience any of that. But but in theory, they placed a, a very high fine for those breaking it, and the fine was given to the hotels. So the hotels had the incentive of really either getting rid of their guests or really making sure that those guests are um, are in their in their rooms. Wow, I'm, I'm really impressed yet surprised that you took such a uh, that kind of move during COVID seems so uh, yeah uh, completely egregious. irresponsible. Yeah, very yeah, irresponsible. Completely, completely. I especially I, because I, the tests, yeah. you know, the the accuracy of them is is not is not there. In other words, you could have COVID and not test positive in the, in the very yeah. early stages. So, yeah. Um, or I heard uh, last week, uh, a good friend uh, tested positive because he had it like three months ago. So he doesn't have it anymore, but, um, but there was a bit of a, like a moment there, like, does he have it again? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So I completely agree. Uh, in a way I'm, I'm, I'm slightly embarrassed about going, but I'm so happy I went because I really needed, I really needed it. It was, it was, uh, and, and it was a, like a genuine moment of escaping a little bit of the prison that I've, I've been used to. I'm, I, I'm not complaining about it, but, but it, it genuinely felt like a, a real vacation. I think it's okay to complain about it. It's a, it's a shitty time. <laughs> and I think, uh, some of the things people are going to take away from this era is that uh, we all need periods of escape. It, it also seems irresponsible. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm still a little bit surprised that you did it, uh, I, although as someone who always needs escapes, I get it. But I do think it's irresponsible of government leaders to not find a sensible middle ground. Like they've had to assume the lowest common denominator. Um, yeah. And that's what I noticed. You know, we went away and... Um, you know, we took a, you know, our COVID trip, as we called it, was instead of meeting family like we normally did, we just did it with us. We rented yeah. a house. Uh, yeah, on, the, on an island. Rented a house on an island in Florida, which if you're not from here, sounds exotic, but all islands in America are overdeveloped pieces of land with bridges that go onto them. So they're not, yeah. you know, Micronesian islands like our friends have. <laughs> 
And so I had a lot of these, you know, different thoughts and we drove and it's, you know, it's a, it's a full two days to get from Chicago yeah. to, to South Florida. Yeah. And you were complaining about it because you said the flights were so cheap. Yeah. And the flights were, I mean, at Christmas time, generally it, it costs uh, seven, $800 to, to make that flight. And they had tickets for 75 to a hundred um, nonstop. And, you know, I was all about the flying. My, my, my wife thought differently, not citing the airplane is the risk, but all the people you can't control and people in the airport. What was your experience with people in the airport? I mean, were the, were the security lines like, you know, dick to ass or were there, was there space between you and the other person? Uh, there was space. Yeah. People were, uh, were definitely uh, respecting it. Um, yeah. And I felt like as I started trying to read more research that's come out of airports and airplanes and contact tracing, and it seems like there's not a lot of cases that trace their roots back to the airport. Um, mm -hmm. And I, it just seems like there's, there's no balance. Like wh why can't people do a version of what you did? If, if they know like, Hey, if you, if you take not one, but two tests, say three days apart. And during that time, you've also been quarantining for a week. Like, I think there's a way to do it. Like a version of like what you guys are doing. Cause are, are you legitimately quarantining now? I mean, I'm going out for walks, but I'm, and, and I'm uh, going to visit the family because we were in the same bubble, but I'm not seeing other people. Yeah. So then that weren't in that I, bubble. I, so yeah. I, I and I'm not going into the, into the grocery store. I had uh, some friends do my shopping. Oh, cool. Do they drop it off at your door? Like you're uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you have Ebola, um, yeah. <laughs> which I still think sounds far more frightening than COVID. Um, yeah. Ebola is amazing. It's the best name for a disease ever. Yeah, you, no one wants that. Even, even if it was harmless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, and I don't get the impression from what I've read that there are many, if any, governments um, providing advice like this. Like, hey, here's a way to go out with friends safely, and you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it seems. You know, I, I I know that in the the AIDS era, this became a thing. You know, they they had to move from the strict abstinence type uh, messaging. Uh, to being practical, especially with the gay community. Like they weren't just going to stop fucking. I mean, we're men. What do you expect? Um, yeah. So that's where, you know, ideas like safe sex and condoms and, um, you know, communication between partners and sensible things you can do uh, came about. And I, I think that helped AIDS more than anything. And it, it doesn't, mm -hmm. I still don't see that messaging happening for COVID. It's sort of like either everything's fine. So act like it doesn't exist or lockdown and try not to kill yourself. <laughs> yeah. How was uh, your trip? So our trip was, uh, you know, I have to preface it with its family trip, right? So it's, it's different than what you experience. Like it's, I don't get to truly vacate because you know, my, my kids need attention most of the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, was, on a philosophical level, you literally just changed location. That was your vacation. You changed that, locations, but with that, everything Location and, and, and uh, uh, weather. <laughs> and weather, yeah. That's you know, we, 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 had a, uh, we had a pool. Um, it was on a, like a deep water canal that goes out into the, into the ocean. So, um, you know, I saw a dolphin outside one day off her dock. Oh, wow. Um, wow. You know, I, I had a paddleboard there. So every day I go out and go right through the like uh, the canals and the bay and uh oh, it's amazing which is a very peaceful thing for me to do so yeah that kind of stuff was uh, great basically all the moments i had to escape the uh, household uh <laughs> hour, hour and a half walk with a dog every morning um <laughs> you know th those were very nice moments um, but yeah i mean overall that's all it was it was just our family in someone mm -hmm. else's house um kind of doing what we would do here except no one had to work and uh, no one had to go to school and you, mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of swimming. Swimming is, yeah. good, swimming is good for children, mainly because it tires them out. Yeah. Very uh, energy heavy. Yeah. It's not for any other reason than it just makes your kids tired at night. <laughs> um, the chlorine, the but, yeah. movement. Yeah. But, but COVID wise, I did have some interesting, you know, observations on this topic. One was, so this island, and it's a pretty, for Florida, it's a laid back place. There's no big hotels. It's mostly houses, um, very little, um, not a lot of cars. People can walk uh, most places, no bar scene or anything like that. It's pretty much, 
if you are in the middle to upper middle classes of the white Christian Midwestern community, it's a dream. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it is the family wet dream. You got to have a family, a couple, not so good. Um, uh -huh. But if you got, you know, it's, it's just, it's so laid back and easygoing. Yeah. Uh, but what I noticed was, uh, you know, nobody was wearing a mask out in public and you'd see people, of course, walking on the beach and walking their dog and, and I, you know, living on the north side of Chicago, a very progressive neighborhood. I don't know if it's the same in Amsterdam, but COVID's so politicized here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody here wears a mask. I mean, they wear a mask to take a shit. They wear a mask to open their front door. They wear a mask driving their car. I mean, they are in masks all the fucking time. Mm -hmm. And I had this observation after spending a lot of time in the Middle East that uh, it's just downright depressing to not see another human's face. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I feel this is not talked about. I don't know if you've read any articles about it, but I don't see anything. It is uh, very dejecting and in, in, inhumane and demoralizing when you go outside and you see people wearing masks, especially when we know that it's not really helping them. Like, you know, why are you wearing a mask on a sidewalk with no other people? Um, yeah. And it was great. I mean, no one there. And there was something that alone was very... Uh, mm. seem restorative and yet every time I went into a shop supermarket um, and even all the gas stations I mean we drove through places people think are you know super Trump country you know Tennessee and um, Kentucky Indiana I'd say 90 plus percent compliance when you go into a gas station or, or a yeah supermarket. wow and that's yeah easily um, now, granted, maybe a lot of those people weren't from that small town because they were all coming off the highway. But regardless, I think where it mattered, people seem to be somewhat common sense. Uh, mm -hmm. So that, that was almost encouraging. Like, you know, being an American right now is a very, uh, it's a very hard time to know that, yeah. you know, 70 million people thought that they'd still rather have Donald Trump. Uh, I think that has got to be fucking hard to swallow for many more people than just me. Uh, yeah, you know, I think I, I feel trapped again, like I did many years ago. Um, mm. You know, knowing that there's no way out of that, like that, that's not going to change overnight or in five or 10 no. years, like, so we won't go down that rabbit hole. But, you know, so having those thoughts driving and then seeing these people who, you know, full on camo gear, hunting gear, you know, all the stereotypes visually existed yet. As soon as they open that door to the gas station or the supermarket, you know, they put on the mask. Um, I'm just imagining like an active shooter wearing a mask. Like, oh, well, at least they're wearing a mask. <laughs> I, I tell you what, there's been no greater time in America to be a bank robber, active shooter, any type of criminal that needs to cover their face. It's just fucking perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so that, was, that was one of the things from the... Uh, from the road trip and that's such an american thing right like does anyone in europe spend two days driving <laughs> oh yeah and so um uh, the, the there were uh there was one guest of uh, a uh, family that drove from the netherlands it wasn't two days i mean it took that's like eight hours, hours right yeah. yeah exactly so yeah true um but uh, a good friend of mine uh, drove down to slovenia i think that took him uh close to two days um yeah it's it's not it's not as american it's true Gotcha. But you do see more people sort of deciding maybe I'll take a trip, but I'm not going to fly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, I think that's very common now. A lot of right. people are choosing that option. Yeah. Uh, well, so it was, it was, and I think we were mentioning earlier before we hit the, hit the old button that said record, there, there was something about the two weeks versus one week vacation. Like it, it definitely feels yeah. like that was a good amount of time, but one week, is meh. but you yours was one week but it maybe was different because you had so much going on yeah i don't know i i, I can't compare i i totally got what you're saying i think uh you know one uh, a one week vacation you're 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 basically on the road for for two of those days anyway so you're 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 not really in a week you're you're like five days at best and then yeah those five days are you know you're already on the last day making plans to leave so you're not really enjoying that last day etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think two two weeks is definitely uh I, th I think you're you're on to something which is much deeper which is of course the fact that americans don't get that much vacation time 
uh, as, as much as the Europeans do. So uh, there's just, uh, the starting point is very different in how you even think about a vacation. I mean, do Europeans, uh, your experience today, do they want to study Americans more? I mean, we're so, we're so baffling. I, I just saw there was like a, a you know, I'd have seen this, there was a, a fairly large study of, um, of workers uh, at home now who are, are no longer commuting. Um, so their, yeah. their jobs uh, transition to um, working from home. And they, they show that like the, the, the productivity is up. <laughs> yeah. So they're yeah. working more. And then the, the commuting hours, some insane amount. I, I forget if it was the, the trillions or billions of, of hours that are saved on commuting. And yet um, they found, I think it was something like 35% of that time has now been dedicated to people's job. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. Like what I heard about productivity uh, is, is that uh, there are companies who are suddenly seeing, well, our employees simply aren't as productive as they used to be. It's the opposite now that they're online because they have these horrible ways of measuring productivity. Like truly, like uh, you know, they can they can uh, see if your eyes are on the screen or if they're somewhere else. Like they're these 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 really horrible companies that that, that track everything down. Uh, but what they didn't realize, of course, is that they couldn't track the productivity beforehand. So the productivity didn't go down. It was always down is the, uh, is the answer. Ah, and, and I think, and I think, I think so, that's, that's true both in both directions, actually. So it's not that the productivity has gone up or down. If people care about their jobs and they know what they need to do, uh, productivity probably stayed the same. Yeah, which I think has been the argument forever for why employees should be allowed to work from home is that just like yeah. you said if you don't want to be unemployed you'll do what you're supposed to do exactly or i'll kick your ass um <laughs> that's that's the boss saying that oh so there basically was never a metric to know what the productivity was in the first place i mean there 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 are many metrics to measure productivity but i guess the argument is that uh, many of them are are, are are kind of based on uh, some sort of false um assumption of some sort and, and are not actual good ways of measuring productivity. Uh, to, to say the person has been at their desk looking at their screen for eight hours does not imply that the person is any more productive than someone else. Um, now you, you know a lot and, about this type of topic because of, of your job and, 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 the, and the, the kind of workshops you run and things like that. How about vulnerability in the workplace? Like I would think that's not okay like that strikes me as like a weakness that could be taken advantage of how, how does the vulnerability fit into work oh wow uh well i think uh, i think it's it's uh it's definitely something you should uh i'll send you the link to the brene brown thing because i think she talks a lot about that um but but indeed that's a that's a major source i think of people's pain especially when they're in uh, these corporations and trying to move up the ladder and, and they're playing all these political games with other people. Uh, and they, they really get sucked into uh, a place where, yeah, it, it, it does feel like only the strong survive. And, uh, and, and there too, there's this idea that, uh, that showing vulnerability is a bad thing. Again, she, she proves, she proves differently in her but, talk I mean, it, and she has I, a lot of proof of it. It does seem to be a, a, an app like a, a very um, appropriate topic for our time because, you know, look, look at who the president of the United States is. This seems like the, oh, yeah. the, least, down, yeah. the, the least vulnerable person uh, maybe in existence who has, yep. uh, who has negative empathy. Uh, yep. Um, Agreed. Yeah. But at the same time, he has, you know, clearly a ton of followers, uh, even more people who are willing to, to vote for him. And, yep. and one of the arguments given for support, just like in certain dictatorships or developing countries is, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's, he's strong, right? He doesn't show weakness. Um, That's right. So it, you know, this seems like an international thing in terms of a trait that is still yeah. uh, looked up on. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the famous Trump negotiation is, you know, he, he doubles down on everything. Yeah. You know, whereas I think the argument is if he just would admit like, oh, shit, you know, I screwed up. I shouldn't have said inject yourself with bleach. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe people would think differently. And yet yeah. 
he's proven like I, I think he's like it's fucked up right like like it's like maybe vulnerability works for some people but he's proven that you know look how much shit they were able to get accomplished as republicans having a person who basically had no vulnerability yeah um uh yeah true um i mean you could argue whether the things that they i i think the the, the trick in america in terms of is, is you can do a lot of damage in a in a in a in a in a, in a lot of time in four years and eight years and the country and the, the 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 space is so big that you wouldn't even feel the damage until much later. So I, I mean, you could also argue uh, that it's that they may have achieved a lot, but uh, you wonder whether it's it was successful. Uh, and that's you know that that time will tell. But uh, but yeah, definitely he represents the the the, the don't be vulnerable uh, leadership style, uh, which is uh, which is a yeah something that that. I guess, uh, I guess for some people there, there is like this, uh, image of that type of leader, you know, that, I don't know, the John Wayne type from world war two or something that people exactly. don't talk about their feelings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, yeah. and, and for a lot of us, that's how, you know, again, if we talk about the, the constellation stuff, that's, that's how we perceive leaders. Um, and so, yeah, he definitely appeals to those who, who perceive leaders that way. But if they, for a second, ask themselves like a deeper question, uh, they might they might come up with a different answer. I don't know. Do you think that uh, Angela Merkel, is she, does she show vulnerability? She seems to be a, <laughs> a, a respected leader, but she doesn't, she, I don't know much about her, but just her- I don't her either, no. Her, 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 her the, the way she appears always seems like, oh, I don't think she's very vulnerable. Um, don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. I really don't know enough about her. I think if anything, what I do know about her is that she definitely represents a more pragmatic and practical sort of person, but she definitely uh, did a very vulnerable move, I guess, or a very brave move uh, by accepting all the refugees uh, to, to Germany, like a crazy amount back in 2016. Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah. yeah, which, uh, you know, will change Germany forever. <laughs> Well, uh, they 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 got to loosen they got to loosen up a little bit, you know. And, and anybody that wants to take on make David Hasselhoff a pop star needs help, you know. Anybody who thinks it's okay to wear socks in the summertime with sandals, uh, they they're good people. They fucking are wonderful engineers, but they they, they just gotta they gotta loosen up a little bit. Good point. It's a very good point. Um, Merkel, well, sexy, beautiful. <laughs> I think I think that was that you know that you, you think about it, the Hillary Clinton story, you know she clearly had to make herself seem completely un, and I don't mean the pun by this unpenetrable, uh, you know just showing mm -hmm. she had to show zero vulnerability which um, the public did not take to obviously by her loss because that's not something we expect from a woman right um, yeah we expect no, that was. I mean, there was no model for it, uh, and and she 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 would be criticized for pretty much any move that she would make, just because there was no model up until that point of a strong female leader, uh, and certainly in America. So, uh, yeah. well, I have so nobody watching. knew how to place her. Whatever she did was the wrong move for for people who just didn't like her. Yeah, and I, I think the. Uh... The, the Netflix show, The Crown, came out a little bit too late because they, uh -huh. uh, have you watched any of that? No, I haven't. I'm um, not in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'd be a great like line for your, <laughs> your Tinder profile. Crown? Yeah, true. I'd like to watch <laughs> it, but not a, not a relationship yet. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. There, there'd be no way. Actually, I, I don't even know what I'm talking about. I, I know this because I resisted watching it for like two years. My, my wife kept asking, you want to watch it? And I was like, no, 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 no. And then finally, I was like, fine. And then I found myself kind of captivated by the whole thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I never knew anything about anything about the British royals. Um, anyway, so they're right now I'm up to the point where they introduce Margaret Thatcher. And uh, you see her basically, you know, how she has to present herself as the you know, famous iron, iron lady. Um, yeah. This sort of no nonsense person. Um, yeah. And, and the yeah. queen. She and, has and, to and basically be a man. 
Exactly. And Queen Elizabeth actually did the same thing early on. They, they showed that, how she had to basically um, become this person who, um, you know, didn't really show vulnerability. Yeah. yeah. But now her, now her, do her dogs are in every scene, uh, yeah. which I think is very vulnerable to have those little corgis. Because <laughs> they're, not, they're, not they're not very tough dogs. Like if, if, I'm, if I'm coming from another kingdom, like if I'm, from, if, I'm from the, if I'm a Viking and I'm coming over to do some pillaging, and I see your leader has those pussy dogs. I'm going to definitely do some do some extra pillaging. <laughs> Just for the dogs. Yeah, not a, not a good look for the UK. Yeah, maybe that's why there's so many hooligans. They're they're dealing with their repression that their their spiritual leader has such shitty dogs. That's it. Uh, they're cute dogs. Don't get me wrong, but not not for the leader of a fucking empire. <laughs> yeah. Now the Tibetans had really small dogs, but they're you know they're very peaceful people, so it makes sense. Well, this has been a well, wonderful episode. I, I really hope that uh, our, our listeners in uh, in Bangladesh. Uh, oh God, the Bangladeshis! Shout you know, out. Where where else have we gotten some uh, gotten some feedback from? Um, let me let me oh, look. Rwanda here. always. Always, yeah. they're very, very active. We got the three Rwandans. We got the Burkina Faso person. Um, yeah. I think we had someone in Chad, but they moved. So I don't know where that is now. I think they made it out to Sierra Leone. Um, yeah. Be vulnerable, people. Yeah. Be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. Have that vulnerable civil war in whatever nation you're in. Yeah. And just remember, we had, we had nothing to do with it. No. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time.